did was I talked to you about the position that we are called to. We are to stand between the living and the dead and stop the plague. That's where we're supposed to be. In essence, what we could say is we are to be gap standers. We are to stand in the gap on behalf of those that don't know Jesus and bridge, bridge them to those that do know Jesus so that they can come into a, a salvation knowledge of Jesus Christ, right? So that's what we are called to do. Then I challenged you that we had to examine our hearts. And how do we examine our hearts? We check out our checkbooks, right? Because our money goes where our heart is. And I challenge you to ask yourself this question. Do you love pigs or do you love people? Do you love men or do you love money? Because God has not called us to be caught up in materialism. He's called us to reach out and love people. And then last week I talked to you about the three giants that we have to kill in order to be able to reach out effectively to our community. We have to be willing to kill three giants. The first was being prim, formal, and proper, not accepting people that look like us, not accepting people that don't dress like us. We've got to get past all that and reach out to people just where they are. And then I told you that the second giant we have to kill is one that deals with indifference or apathy. We've got to get rid of this idea that we really don't care about anybody else but us. Then the third giant I I, uh, dealt with was the giant of fear because reaching out out of your comfort zone is something that often causes fear in our life. And so we dealt with that. And so this morning we're going to wrap up all of uh, this series this morning and in this series. So I want you to look in Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read a portion of scripture that I know you know. Uh, If you've been in children's church at all growing up or Sunday school at all growing up, you know this story. And so I want you to listen very carefully. I'm going to read it out of a couple different different parts of it out of different versions. So I want you to stay with me. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, verse 7, verse 17, verses 25 through 37. And I'll I'll explain why I'm reading all of it here in just a moment. It says, Later the master selected 70 and sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he intended to go. He gave them this charge. What a huge harvest and how few the harvest hands. So on your knees, ask, God, ask the God of the harvest to send harvest hands on your way. But be careful, this is hazardous work. Then in verse 7, he's giving them instructions how to enter a town or a city or a village. And he says this, when they go in, they're supposed to go into houses. And he says this in verse 7, he says, In that same house remain eating and drinking such things as they give. Then in verse 17, they come back to Jesus and they give a report. His disciples do and it says, The seventy return with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject unto us in thy name. And then all of a sudden, the tables turn a little bit and the story takes a shift and we go into verse 25 and it says this, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and made trial of him saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered, saying, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus made answer and said, A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who both stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a certain priest was going down that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And in like manner, a a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, and he was moved with compassion, he came to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on on them oil and wine. And he set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. 
And on the morrow, he took out two shillings and gave them to the host and said, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, I, when I come back again, will repay thee. Which of these three thinkest thou proved neighbor unto him that fell among the robbers? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. And Jesus said unto him, Go and do likewise. I want to talk to you this, this morning for just a few minutes about the two sides of the coin. Now, I've got in my hand a quarter. And as you know, on the quarter, there's a heads and a tails, right? There are two sides to this coin. Unless it's a trick coin, there's always going to be a heads and tails, front and back, two sides. What we understand is that you cannot have one without the other. I can't just hand you a coin and it just have heads on it. If I hand you a coin, whether I intended to or not, there is going to be a tails on it as well. They are inextricably always undeniably joined together. There's no way to get them apart. They are one in the same. You cannot have one without the other. And I bring that to your attention because in this discussion with this lawyer, what Jesus does is he ties two sides of a coin together in a way that they can never be separated. He basically says to this man in this story, this, if you love God, heads, you'll love men, tails. There's no way to get rid of one or the other. You cannot focus on one and do away with the other. They cannot be separated. Now, what Jesus does is he does, in fact, put the commands in order. He ranks them in importance. He's, because the law first mentioned, he, he talks, the, the, the lawyer answers correctly, and the first commandment, the greatest commandment, is to love God first. That is the first and the most important commandment. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, spirit. You know the, you know the verse. And then he says to love your neighbor. So, so Jesus ranks the level or the importance of these commands. Now, before we get into our points this morning, let me just ask you a question. Did the man that stood up to try Jesus, the the, the individual that stood up and said, let me ask you a question, how do I inherit eternal life? And all the men that he represented, because he was one of the lawyers, he was one of the scribes, he was one of the the, the religious people in that community, did those men love God? And the answer is, absolutely. They loved God. In fact, we can discover that not only did they love God, they were radical about God. Did you know that through the course of their history, they were so crazy about God and so crazy about being in a relationship with God that they took all of the commandments and they began to interpret those commandments and add to those commandments and clarify those commandments to the point that they came to this place where there were 613,248 commandments, rules, or regulations that were positive and 365 negative rules or, or regulations that they had to keep. They were crazy about God. They were radical for God. You, listen, you didn't have to wonder if these guys were going to show up for church. They were like clockwork. If the doors were open, it didn't matter if it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday morning, Wednesday night, Tuesday morning Bible study at 3.30 in the morning. They were going to be there. They were like clockwork. You didn't have to question whether these guys were going to give in the offering. Man, they were like money in the bank. They always gave in the offering. You didn't have to ask, were these guys going to be pure and be holy? Man, they were... They were, they were so clean it was ridiculous, right? Sound like poster boys for church, doesn't it? Have you ever met anybody like that? Did you see that person this morning in the mirror when you got up? On the outside, they had it all together. On the outside. But here's the truth about this gentleman and this group of men that were challenging Jesus. Here, here it is. 
They understood the laws of God. They understood the regulations and the requirements. They just didn't have the heart of God. And so what Jesus does is he tells this parable that, you know what it is, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And what that parable does is it forces these individuals to deal with both sides of the coin. In fact, John says it like this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 through 21. He says, if anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, whether they're black, whether they're purple, whether they're white, whether they're polka-dotted, whether they dress like us, whether they drive like us, whether they eat where we eat or live where we live, if you go on hating your brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, How can he love the God he cannot see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. So what this this whole truth is, is this. We are called to love God, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. We are called to love God. But you can come in here and love God all you want. You can keep every commandment. You can be as pure as you can possibly be. But if you don't love everybody else, the truth isn't in you. But likewise, there's a second side of the coin because if you love people and you go volunteer at the homeless shelter and you take everything you own and you give it away and you feed people and you clothe people and you love people but you don't love God, you haven't completed the picture. Because if all you can do is help them physically, socially, emotionally and you can't help them spiritually, you come up short. You just got tails. There are two sides to every coin. So here are some lessons that I want us to learn. Uh, I want us to back up to verse 2 because I think it's important. In verse 2, Jesus sends out his disciples. And here's what he teaches us. Are you ready? In verse 2, we learn this. We pray for the wrong things. How many of you pray on a regular basis? Come on now. All right. About 80% of you pray on a regular basis. We'll have an altar call here in a minute, get the other 20% right. Okay? We pray. I'm not talking about getting down on your knees, spending 400 hours a week in prayer. I'm talking about while you're driving down the road, you pray. While you get up in the morning fixing your hair, if you have any, you pray. While you're in the shower, you, at some moment during your day, you pray. But what Jesus talks about is that we're praying for the wrong things. Because here's what most of us do. We pray for the harvest. God... Please give Passion Church a harvest. There's a community around us that needs Jesus. There's people in the apartment complex. There's people in the neighborhoods. There's people in our workplaces. Give us a harvest, God. We pray for the harvest. How many of you prayed recently, God, help my my husband to get saved. Help my wife to get saved. I know some of you prayed that even though they're already saved. But help my children to get saved. Help my uncle to get saved. Help my aunt to get saved. Help my coworker to get saved. You know what Jesus teaches? We don't even have to pray that. We pray for the wrong thing. You do not have to pray for a harvest for this church. In fact, he's teaching us that there has already been a designated destined harvest for this church and for you. He's already ordained it that there are people in your life that God is going to bring you into contact with that you are destined to lead to Christ. We don't have to pray that the harvest gets ready. The harvest is already ready. He said it's ripe unto harvest. It's ready to be reaped right now. You know what we're supposed to pray? You know what we're supposed to pray about? God, help me get ready to go get the harvest. I I, I need to quit praying that Passion Church will win 3,000 people to Jesus. You know what I need to pray? That I'll win one. 
You need to quit praying that your husband and wife and aunt and uncle get saved. You know what you need to pray? God, send somebody along. If it's me, get me ready. But send somebody along to to lead them to Christ, to say the right word at the right moment. Don't pray for the harvest. Pray for workers. We need to start praying that God would fill this place with harvesters. We pray for the wrong things. We know there's a city out there that needs to be saved. That's not a hard thing to figure out. Read the newspaper. Watch the news. They need to be saved. But you know what our prayer is? God, we know they need to be saved. So what we need is people to go save them. That's our prayer. The second lesson is this. We must love God wholly, completely. The greatest commandment is to love thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. I like the way the Message Bible puts it. It says like this. It brings it down to our level. He says, love the Lord your God with all your passion, prayer, muscle, and intelligence. That's how we're supposed to love God. Here's my concern. My concern is is that too many of us love at one-fourth the level at at worst and three-fourths of the level at best. You know what I'm saying, right? We get one out of four at worst and three out of four at best. When God is saying, when Jesus is saying to us that he will not accept anything less but the full package, everything. He says, with all your heart. What is he saying? He's saying, not a divided heart, not with part of your heart. He wants all of your heart with all your passion. Let me ask you a question this morning. Does somebody have your heart? Does somebody have part of who you are, your heart? Do, they, do you come in here and give God three quarters of your heart or all of your heart? Then he goes on and he says, not only all of your heart, but give God all your soul. The idea of soul here means loving God with all of our life. That's what our soul encompasses. It encompasses everything about us. Are you at the point in your walk with Christ where you will lay your life down for him, where you will give him everything? Love God with all of your soul. Hold nothing back. Nothing is off limits. How many of you know we put limits on God? You can have all of my life but this. And all of my life but that. And he is saying he wants every bit of our life. There's no area that we say, God, you don't have access to this. This is my pet little comfortable. No, 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 no. He wants all of our soul. Our soul is that part of us from which we derive our sense of who we are. Hear me now, hear me carefully. Our soul is where we come up with this idea of who we are and where we are going. In other words, he's saying to us, I want you to find who you are, your identity, your purpose in me. Not in what you drive, not in what you wear, not in who you hang out with. That doesn't determine who you are. Who determines who you are is this feeling, this understanding deep inside of you that I'm his and and. And he's mine. Our soul. We, we gain our, our identity from him. And then he, he goes on and he says, love God with all of your strength. What's he talking about all of my strength? All of your energy. All of your abilities. All of your talents. We say, I don't feel very strong. There's no quantifying factor. Well, only when you feel really strong, love him with all your strength. No, he is saying that we love him when we're at our strongest and when we're at our weakest. We love him with our entire being, our energy, everything we've got. We put it into loving God. It doesn't matter if I'm the strongest this week or the weakest this week. It doesn't matter if I've had a great week or a bad week. When I'm dealing with God, I give him everything. Then he goes on and he says, with all your mind. How many of you understand that um, in a lot of ways, Christians like to check their brain at the door? Right? 
We come in here and we get the goosebumps because God is moving and we encounter and, and we have a tendency uh, to, and a temptation to just check our brain at the door. And God is saying, no, 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 no. I want everything. I want your intellect. I want your knowledge. We give him our minds. The Bible declares that we are to study to show ourselves approved. In other words, he doesn't like dummies. He doesn't want us to remain stupid all of our life. He wants us to study and grow. We love him wholly. Right? We love him with everything. So my concern is, is that we give him one out of four. We come into church and we worship him with all of our heart. But we never give him all of our strength. We never give him all of our soul. We never give him all of our mind. Or we'll do this. We'll come in here and we'll, we, we, we'll worship him with all of our soul, but we won't give him our mind. And we, we say, God, I, I find my identity in you, but I'm smarter than you. And since I can figure out what the problem is, I can think my way through this, never realizing that God says our thoughts aren't like his thoughts, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He wants everything. The first commandment is this. You have to love God wholly with everything. Right? I want you to stand with me this morning. Come on, stand up. Come on, man. We're going to practice. Before we go on, we're going to practice right here. We're going to make sure before we ever deal, we're going to deal with the second side of the coin. The first side of the coin is this. We've got to love God wholly. The back side of the coin is this. We've got to love people. But you can't love people unless you love God wholly. How do we find out if you love God wholly? If you give Him everything. We're going to sing this song called Everything. That We're just going to have altar right here, right there where you're standing. I'm not calling you to the front this morning on this. Right where you're standing, I'm asking you during this, this short song, to make your, make your seat right there where you're standing an altar. Say, God, I'm going to give you everything. Then we're going to come deal with side two here in just a second.
are everything, that we will love you wholly, our heart, our soul, our strength, our mind, we give you everything. We refused, we refused to give you a quarter, a half, or three quarters. We give you everything in Jesus' name. If you mean that with everything that's within you, I want you to say amen, and then you may be seated. Amen. It's the first side of the coin. Everything to God. Everything to Him. But if we just have that and don't ever flip the coin, we're short. We're shortchanging God and we're shortchanging man. Because the third lesson is this. Our love for God must drive us to love others. We cannot justify anything less. Notice, if you will, and I know you know the story, but just for a moment, will you notice who passed the, the traveler by. The first guy that comes by is a priest. And he sees him on the other side of the road. and he, Or he sees him on the road and he crosses over and he goes on. He's going down the road. That's an important part of the story. You need to understand that. And then the Bible says that a Levite begins down the road and sees him and does the same thing. Do you understand by that that because they were leaving Jerusalem and making their way down to Jericho that most likely they had already been to church. Because if they'd have been going the other way, they would have been going to the temple. But because they're coming down, it signifies to us that they probably have already been to Passion Church on a Sunday morning and they've already gotten their dance on and they've already gotten their praise on and they've already bucked and they've already cried and they've already done all the stuff that we do. They're going down. The other way that we know that that's probably true is because they were traveling by themselves. Because tradition says that if you're going up to the temple, you don't travel by yourselves, you travel in groups. But they're traveling alone, away from church. You know what it's teaching us? Hear me this morning. It teaches us that their church had absolutely no impact on their compassion. Their God activity had no bearing on their social activity. They, they, they passed by. Now, I know that men in particular are handicapped because we have selective hearing. Come on, women, that's your chance to say amen. Right? Hey, thank you, thank you, Esther. Danny didn't hear that. He chose not to listen to that. Right? We have selective hearing. But in this case, they were doubly handicapped because not only did they have selective hearing, they had selective seeing. They chose to ignore the man that was hurt. And Jesus comes along and he, he teaches us this. They looked over the obvious, obvious and he teaches us this. Here's what he's saying. You cannot separate loving God wholly from helping those who are not whole. You've got to love God wholly, but you also got to deal with those that are not whole. He's teaching us that we cannot separate our church life from our daily life. 
That's what he's teaching us. He is saying this. You can't separate worship from those that are hurting. Worship is not something we do on a Sunday morning when we come together. A worship is how we live. And our act of worship is that we go out and we find those that are hurting and we deal with them. He's teaching us this, that our worship should drive us to our world, not away from our world. Our encounter with God should create a compassion for man. Hear me, I'm going to be very bold right now. Listen, I'm... I'm going to read it to you how I wrote it down because this is how I truly believe it. If going or coming to this church increases your love for God, if you come in here and, and it increases how much you love God on a weekly basis, but it never affects how much you love men, don't come back. Don't come back. Because it's one side of the coin and it won't work. We've got to love men. God, God deals with this issue of us ignoring what we want to ignore. He doesn't allow it. The, the Bible says that the man tried to justify himself. And what Jesus says is you can't do it, buddy. You can try all you want. You can't excuse it away. We cannot make excuse for coming in here week after week and worshiping God and never once reaching out to somebody else and helping them. Lesson number four is this. Reaching out will be inconvenient. It will be inconvenient. Notice, if you will, that this good Samaritan put this messed up man on his beast. That means he had to walk. This, this good Samaritan put his oil and his wine on his wounds. You know what that means? He had to do without. He, he takes and he pays the innkeeper and he takes money out of his own pocket and gives it to the innkeeper and says, Here, take this and care. So it means he's gonna, his hard-earned money he's got to do without. Inconvenience. Inconvenience. Let me, let me tell you this, this, this morning. Let me put it in our terms. You're driving down the road in your brand new, nicely polished, leather clad, armor alled car, and you see a bum laying on the side of the street in his own mess, in his own vomit, and he picks him up and puts him in his car. That's what happened. He, he sees the suit of clothes that he's, he's had his eye on for months and been saving up for months, and he takes the money that he was going to buy those clothes with, and he buys them for this man instead of himself. He, he goes out to lunch, and he's sitting down at the table, and he's getting ready to order a 16-ounce T-bone steak and realizes that if I, give, if I give anything to this man standing outside that says I don't have anything to eat, I won't be able to eat my steak. Instead, I'll have to eat a hamburger. He goes and eats the hamburger instead. It will inconvenience you to reach out. Hear me this morning. If you are going to do what Jesus called us to do, there will be a moment in your life where it will inconvenience you and it will make you late for an appointment and it will make you have to rearrange your schedule and it'll, have to, it'll make you spend money on somebody else that you were planning on spending on yourself. It will inconvenience you at some moment to reach out to somebody else. It's just part of the, the deal. Which leads me to lesson five. Lesson five is this. Reaching out will cost you. It will cost you time. It will cost you effort. It will cost you money. In order to love others, you will find yourselves in vulnerable situations. Do you realize that the, the Samaritan was in a vulnerable situation when he stopped to help this man? This, this path that they were on, he was exposed. How, many, how did he know whether that gang was still there that did to him 
they could still be here hiding. He didn't see them. He didn't know they were there and he fell into, the, into their midst and they destroyed him. They could still be around and they could do that to me. It was a vulnerable situation. He was on this path called the road to Jericho and a couple other names that are interesting to me. You know what they used to call this road? The snake path. Sounds like a good place in town, doesn't it? The snake path or another thing they call it was the bloody way. That's where you want to spend your Sunday afternoon, right? In the bloody way. Come on now, it was a vulnerable place. It wasn't safe to stop and help anybody else. And what I am saying to you is this. You will have to go down some dangerous roads to help other people. It's part of the deal. It will cost us. We will find ourselves in vulnerable positions. It's always vulnerable to reach out to help and to love. It's a vulnerable way to live. You, you, know, you don't know. There's a chance that the people that you reach out to love won't thank you. It's vulnerable. There, there, there's a good chance that that person that you reach out trying to help, trying to love, will turn and in turn bite the hand that fed it and resent you. There's a good chance that, that if you reach out to somebody and try to help them and they're not used to being helped and they're not used to being loved, there's a good chance that they might just take you. They might just burn you. They might just abuse you. They might just talk bad about you. They might just take all your money and run. They might just un, unthankfully look at you and go, you know what, get out of my face. It will cost you to reach out. Now, that goes with the territory. Jesus doesn't let us off the hook. He said, even though it's going to cost you, you still have to be willing to pay, pay the cost. Let me, let me tell you this morning. It is irresponsible for me to stand up here and challenge you to reach out to others without first challenging you to, to understand that before you can do that, you must first count the cost. I challenge you this morning. You, you can come in here all you want and say, I want to reach out to my community, but first you better count the cost. It will cost you something. You've got to count the cost. There will be a cost financially. There will be a cost physically, emotionally, spiritually. There is always a cost. We have to come to the place where we're willing to pay the price. The last lesson is this. There is a snake path or bloody way near you. That's why Jesus looks at this lawyer and says, go and do likewise. He's basically saying to him and saying to us, there are people destroyed, hurt all over the place, and what I am commissioning you to do is to go and be with them. It just caught me. I hadn't caught it before, but when I read to you what happened with the Good Samaritan, it says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. Jesus is saying, you know what? Find people that are dealing with hardships and go to where they are. He's saying, find people who are broken and go deal with their brokenness with them. Go find people that have been abused by life and go where they are and spend time with them. There is a bloody path near you, and I am commissioning you to go help them. Go do likewise. So it begs this question, how do we help? What do we do? How do we bring answers? Let me tell you, and then I'm going to be done. How do we help them? Using the language of the parable, this parable that Jesus told, we offer them the same thing this good Samaritan offered to this man that was injured. You know what he did? He gave him oil and wine. Oil and wine. I, I, I don't want to stretch the text, but 
Let me just tell you that oil in the Bible always represents the power of the Holy Spirit. Always. So what I believe God is saying here is that the two sides of the coin, there's two sides of the coin, loving God, loving others, but there's also two sides of the coin on how we help people. The first side is this, we've got to offer them oil, the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why you can't come in here and just do your duty by coming to church on Sunday and saying, oh, I did my good Christian duty, came to church. No, you've got to come in here and encounter God and have a power encounter so that when you leave, you have something to give somebody. You can't just come in here and go through the motions and say, well, I'm just going to take this Sunday off and sit back and cross my arms and say, he can't talk to me, he can't. No, you come in here and you encounter God so that when you go into your daily life and go down the snake path, you will have something to offer to those that are hurting. We've got to offer them all. If you want to go back and read how Jesus sent out his, his disciples, he must have sent them out with power because in verse 17 that I read to you, they come back and say, even the demons submit to us in your name. They went out with power. And they offered, that's the first side of the coin when you're helping people, but you've got to flip it over. Because it then says that the, the, the Samaritan offered wine, he poured wine. I don't want to stretch the text. But I believe what he's teaching us is that it's not enough to just offer them the power of the Holy Spirit. Go into the apartment complex where they're struggling to make ends meet. And you can go in there and speak in tongues all you want. You go right out by the basketball court every day of your life and throw up your hands, play a little worship music and speak in tongues and it ain't going to help them squat. There's a second side of the coin. We offer them wine. I believe that in this story, wine deals with communion. Why? Because in verse 7 that I read to you, Jesus not only sends out his disciples with power, he gives them instructions. Check it out, how he tells them to do ministry. He says, go into a town and go to their houses and eat with them and drink with them and get to know with them. You know what he's saying? He's saying to us that we've got to wrap our outreach efforts up in two things, the power of the Holy Spirit and in relationship. One without the other won't accomplish anything. So there are two. He says, the, this good Samaritan bound up his wounds. Do you know how we bind up people's wounds? We're supposed to have a binding ministry, right? <laughs> That's what we're We are to bind people's wounds. Do you know how he did it? He wrapped them up with oil and wine. He did it with spiritually... And naturally, with oil and wine. What I am saying to you is that there are two sides to this coin. We are to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, spirit, strength, everything in us holy. But we must also deal with the other side and love other people and it will cost us and it will make us vulnerable and it will inconvenience us. But we cannot just love God and not love everybody else. How do we love them? We impact them under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. But we do that by ministering to them in relationship. That's why we will continue to outreach to places like the apartments where we don't know anybody. But the, the, and we will continue that as a part of the life of our church. We will put TV commercials on to, to, to impact people that we may never meet. But let me tell you what I'm commissioning you to. This is the last sermon in this series. Listen to me. What I am commissioning you to do is to build relationships with people. And in the cover of that relationship, with the, in the surroundings of that relationship, as you're drinking a cup of coffee together, as you're eating at Chili's together, as you're watching a movie together, at some moment during that relationship, you should be able to also slip them oil. And when you do that, you bind up their wounds. What I'm saying this morning is this. Don't come and brag to me about how much you love God if you don't love people. And don't come brag to me about how much you're helping people. Man, I'm serving at the soup kitchen. kitchen. I'm, I'm giving away 
clothes to the, the, the homeless. I'm, I'm driving people that are sick to, at the nursing home to, to go shop. Don't brag about that if you don't love God holy. If you don't love Him with everything about you, your mind, your body, your money, you, everything. If you don't love God like that, don't brag to me. It takes both. Now, last night as I was continuing to pray over this message, I feel like the Holy Spirit gave me a word and it was this. We know this verse of Scripture that says, we have not because we ask not. Right? You know that verse of Scripture. And I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said this. We give not because we don't have. In other words, he was saying to me, Steve, we don't give people oil because we don't have any oil. We don't give people relationship because we don't have relationship. You know, Julie said something to me this week that is stuck in my, my brain and in my heart. You know what she said to me? There are still people, we're, we're 13 weeks old now, there are still people coming here that don't know each other's names. So how do we offer people relationship when we don't have relationship? It won't work. I want you to stand with me this morning. It is a two-sided coin. One side alone won't get it done. Come here the rest of your life. 30 now, and we're still in existence in 40 years, which I believe we will be. Won't look just like this. I won't quite have as much hair as I got right now. <laughs> but in 40 years, you can come here every Sunday and every Wednesday night, and you can dance yourself silly. Love God with all of your heart. But unless you're willing to flip that coin over, and love somebody along the way, you're going to come up short. Love all your neighbors. Be the best friend of everybody in your neighborhood. Everybody comes to your house and hangs out on Saturday night. Everybody knows they can come to you for help. Everybody knows that they can come get food from your pantry. Everybody knows they can come get clothes. Everybody knows if they run out of gas, I can go next door and get gas from there because they love people. But if you don't learn to love God wholly, you'll come up short. It takes both sides of the coin. Father, I pray this morning that you teach us to love you wholly. If there's one part of us that we haven't given to you, whether it be our mind, our soul, our strength, our heart, God, I pray this morning we would give you everything. Father, I pray that you would empower us with oil. I pray that, that as we continue to come into services like this where your spirit moves, we're so thankful your spirit moves but that we wouldn't just go through the motions just to get through another service and get another bar on our attendance code father no 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 father i pray that we would come into this place and you would impact us and encounter us to such a measure that we would walk out of here full of oil and everywhere we go there would be footprints left covered with oil the power of the holy spirit words of wisdom words of knowledge understanding faith and miracles they would follow us everywhere we go but Father, also I pray that this morning you would teach us about the wine of relationship. We would learn to love people, get involved in people's lives, and offer them natural help wrapped up in supernatural help so that we go to where they are and we minister to them. Help us to deal with both sides of the coin this morning so that we can engage you Engage them, engage our culture, and make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen. 
It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.